9, 12, 10, 28, 2, 23. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf. I am your host, and I'm coming to you from deep in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK here in Washington, D.C. Also in Washington, D.C. for this episode, we have Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University. We have Evelyn Farkas of the Atlantic Council, and we have Ed Luce of the Financial Times. And far away in beautiful uh, England, where the time the time zones have changed already because they're ahead of us in everything, including the decline of empire. We have Corey Shockey <laughs> of the Institute for International Strategic Studies. Guys, I know you've been waiting. Everybody's been waiting with bated breath. We are now just a couple of days away from the U.S. midterm elections. The United States, we've been talking for two years about Donald Trump, his administration, whether what he's done is good or whether what he's done is bad. Uh, Everybody in the media has been talking about it. They've been writing about it. And now we're going to see what the American people actually think about it. And I guess the question that we ought to begin with is, you know, what is the state of affairs right now in the United States of America after two years of Donald Trump? Is it as bad as some people say it is? Uh, uh, is Has the impact of Donald Trump been less than some people say? And I'd just like to go around and sort of get a scene setter where you guys look back at two years of Donald Trump and offer your take um, for better or for worse. Let's start with you, Ed. Um, it's not actually that much worse than I expected it to be, but which was pretty bad. Um, yeah, I think Trump um, is kind of an execrable human being, um, and he's had the execrable qualities of his character vindicated, at least in his own mind, Um by uh, by winning the election in 2016, or at least winning the electoral college, and he's pretty much proceeded as he um, indicated he would on on the campaign trail. Uh, the great sort of division in America in terms of evaluating Trump, um, setting aside all the sort of toxic cultural stuff, which I'm sure we'll get into, is between an economy that is ostensibly doing well in terms of all the aggregate numbers and until recently um, in terms of stock market um, indices, Um, and uh, a a sense of crisis in our politics and society, um, you know, in the other half half of our lives. And I think that uh, the answer to that is that this economy has been sort of methadoned up. Um, There's been a sort of tax cut that um, stimulated... Nice phrasing, Ed. Methadoned up. Ah, yes, yeah, that's, that's a really good one. Yeah, um, but that's receding quite rapidly, and you know, we're we're going to have quite good numbers overall for 2018, about three percent growth. Uh, but it's going to 
sharply drop in 2019. Uh, and at the same time, in spite of all this growth, we actually have median earnings lower in real terms than they were in 2016. So I think the chickens are going to come home to roost economically. My great fear of Trump is that, uh, and again, I'm sure we're about to get onto this, that if, if he, if the Republicans don't lose, or at least retain the Senate and only lose the House very marginally, he will spin that into a win. And he will not self-declare a thumping as Bush did in 06 or a shellacking as Obama did in 2010. He will spin it into a win and he will uh, feel hyper-vindicated. Of course, if the Republicans against the odds retain the House, we will have Trump unbound. And the question is, what is that, given what we've seen over the last two years? And the answer, I think, is a, is a fairly ominous one. Well, I, you know, uh, just want to add into that, that there is another scenario following on on, on, on your analysis there, and that is that uh, Trump, uh, uh, they win the Senate, Trump declares victory on that, the Democrats win the House, which seems more likely, at least at this particular moment. Uh, the economy turns south and Trump says, see, it was growing the first two years when we controlled everything. And it has now stopped because the Democrats, the obstructionists, took over the House and uses that in 2020. Um, Rosa, wh do, yes. what's, yeah, what is your take on t America after two years of Trump? Well, to start with what you just said, David, I, I unfortunately, I think that that's quite likely. And, and Ed, I, I agree with everything you said, except that I don't think objective reality makes any difference in whether Trump declares victory. Trump declares victory when he loses, as well as when he wins. So Trump will find a way to declare victory. His base will believe him no matter what, because his base only reads and sees news that is pre-approved uh, for, for Trump supporters, essentially. And, and Ed, I applaud you for calling for a uh, advertiser boycott of Fox, because that is part of the problem there. Um, so, so, so the only, I actually think that there is a, a significant possibility that the Democrats winning the midterm would simply, I mean, Trump will declare victory no matter what, but it will, it will further embolden uh, the Republican lackeys of Trump, uh, who will will then think, okay, um, you know, there there's sort of no consequence for what we do. Um, I think that if the Democrats win the House, there will be all kinds of ways in which any bad news then can get plausibly blamed on the Democrats for the next two years, which could actually hurt in 2020 rather than helping. So I'm, I'm actually I'm actually really nervous. I'm terrified for, about the Democrats losing in the midterms, because I think if that happens, what it will tell us about the state of America is pretty depressing. But I'm also kind of scared about the Democrats winning in the midterms, because the the Democratic Party, as we all know, has a has a uh, time-tested ability to, you know, snatch defeat from the jaws of victory anyway. Um, and I, I fear that somehow winning in the midterms will end up <laughs> with Donald Trump just somehow making things worse. Um, but going back to your, your earlier broader question, um, you know, what does Trump's America look like uh, two years into, into regime Trump? Um, it doesn't look very good. Um, uh, we, we were talking in our last episode about the uh, election in Brazil of, of Bolsonaro, an extreme right winger. And, you know, Corey, Corey made the argument, which I think is right, that just because a majority 
of the Brazilian population voted for him doesn't mean that they all support his extreme views, that they just were tired of the corruption, wanted a change. I think you could, I think that's right. Um, but I think you could also say the same for Trump's, Donald Trump's election in 2016, that there were lots of Americans who thought, well, I don't agree with a lot of what he says, but, you know, I'm just tired of that same old, same old in Washington and I want to change, uh, you know, and those people, those people are still there. Um, I think that Trump has sort of driven moderates out of electoral politics altogether in many places. And I think that the, the further polarization of the American electorate has continued uh, at an accelerated pace under Trump. I mean, obviously, in the last week, we've seen uh, shootings at a Pittsburgh synagogue uh, by a white uh, anti-Semite with links to the white nationalist movement. We've seen uh, pipe bombs sent to CNN and Democratic political leaders and George Soros, um, the very targets of uh, the Trump media network and often of Trump himself, rhetorically speaking. Um, I, I think it's a very scary time. Um, and I'm, I'm not particularly confident that it's going to get better. Uh, one of the moderates that, you know, may or may not have been driven out of all of this, but who no longer lives in the United States is Corey. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> what, what, what's, what's, what's your take on, on two years of Trump, Corey? Uh, I agree with all of the concerns expressed about how terrible he has been, not just for America's national interests, but also for the the practice of democracy in America and also for the fundamental friendliness that Americans have towards each other that makes our combative political system work. I think he's doing an enormous amount of damage. I am serenely unrepentant of the views of the 122 FS Republican national security types who signed the letter when he got the nomination. I, I just pulled it up, right? His vision of American influence and power in the world is wildly inconsistent and unmoored in principle. Uh, his hateful anti-Muslim rhetoric undercuts the seriousness of combating Islamic terrorism. Furthermore, it endangers the safety and constitutional, constitutionally guaranteed freedoms of American Muslims. And we go on and on. He's, um, he has proved us right almost every single day of his presidency, none more so than today or the day that we are reporting this, when the president again starts talking about journalists as enemies of the people. That kind of stuff has consequences, and President Trump either doesn't know or doesn't care, or worst of all, is actively goading those dark forces for his narrow self-interest. So, so yeah, I think he's been terrible for America, and the violence that we're seeing is politically uh, whipped up. I would love to know, I need to start asking my older friends and relatives what it felt like um, in the 1960s when political assassinations were occurring and the country seemed so rent about the progress it was making. Um, because this feels like that kind of febrile time. And I genuinely pray we don't get there 
But I do think if Donald Trump is in power for six more years, um, the country the country will be so enervated that violence will be commonplace. Oh, I'm sorry. I was actually supposed to be talking about the elections. <laughs> well, no, um, no. Really, really, the really the last two years as a prelude to talking about the elections. But go ahead. Um. So I stopped counting at seventeen major, um, major infractions of what I thought were the norms and practices of American political life. I stopped during the primaries at seventeen that I that President Trump had committed that ought to have ruled him out. So I am by no means a good uh, evaluator of his electoral prospects. But I believe I see quite a lot of individual races around the country where people are running openly in opposition, not just to the president's policies, but to the president's way of doing business. And Republicans and Democrats, but mostly Democrats, doing that. And I suspect Republicans are going to get a hard lesson in the elections because a lot of Republicans have joined forces with the president in ways that that are genuinely shocking. And this is, I think the midterms are going to show either this is who we have become or this is what we are repudiating. And in either direction, I think it will pick up an enormous amount of speed. So, so if people arguing for decency and kindness and tolerance and, oh, let's just talk in uh, government spending that we actually pay for. Um, it, if those people get elected, then Republicans who have been supporting the president will start madly scrambling to distance themselves from him. And if those people don't get elected, then it will, as as Ed, Rosa, and you have said, David, it'll the president will take it as validation. The one thing I would differ with Rosa on is that it's certainly true that the president declares victory whether or not he has won. But his ability to do so relies in particular on Republicans in Congress hanging with him. And when that stops, uh, then he's just an emperor with no clothes. Evelyn? Oh, wow. I really didn't want that visual in my own mouth. <laughs> we that's, the first time, that's the first time we've ever said that. You've ever attacked yourself for your own visual. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, well, um, I'm trying to get that picture out of my head as well. Um, uh, although, let's just think of the blimp, the baby blimp. That's kind of neutral looking. Um, Fiona naked, from the naked. Cincinnati... From the Cincinnati Zoo. Yeah. She hit a thousand pounds today. Oh, wow. Um, so my view is that, uh, you know, as I said before, the midterms are really critical. I think we need a check on this president. If there's no check on him, he will push the boundaries further. That means he will fire people, you know, connected to the Mueller investigation. He will fire people at the Justice Department that he considers, quote unquote, not loyal or disloyal. Um, the what that will do then will turn off 
the deep state, which is really, as we've said before, the competent state, you know, the people who actually know how to run government, who care about law and order, real law and order. Um, and those people will throw their hands up and say, we're now going to be, you know, uh, basically governed by a bunch of political appointees who don't care what's right. They don't care what the rules are. I mean, you can see this er already having been eroded, but if Trump continues unchecked, that's what's going to happen. And frankly speaking, he really does have authoritarian tendencies. These, these things that he's done, you know, um, the rhetoric that he's used, it's just eerily right from the, you know, fascist, you know, ultra-nationalist playbook um, of, of Adolf Hitler, which, of course, is also being right now um, followed by Viktor Orban in Hungary. So, you know, and, and I mean, I can, you know, there, there are components and Jason Schneider, he's a professor at um, Yale and he's the latest professor at Yale to put out a book about, you know, how our democracy is imperiled. But he has a little short book that, um, that, that lays out the various components, you know, conspiracy theory, um, victimization of the majority, you know, which of course is a, is a, is a myth, um, uh, emphasis of law and order, emphasis of traditional virtues that put women back in the home. You know, there's a whole bunch of things and, you know, the refugees attacking, attacking the majority population, raping the women, et cetera. All of this is just from a playbook. And at the end, what you have is the singular leader who's dictating from the white house. So I think the midterm elections matter. Maybe we can hang on and then if he, if he gets defeated, then we still have a chance. But if he if he gets reelected, then good luck, America. And again, because I think because of his tendencies and because we don't see Republican leaders standing up to him. So unless Democrats take control and have real power to stand up to Donald Trump, I'm afraid that we will be heading into truly dangerous territory. Well, that becomes the natural next question here in this uh, podcast. Um, we've only got about 15 minutes to go, but Ed, where do you think we're headed? I tend to think a lot of the answer to your question um, will depend on the exact results of November 6th. I mean, if there is a strong Democratic victory, uh, I think that will act as a check on Trump. Uh, uh, I think that it will demonstrate to America and the world that the system can uh, uh, can uh, correct itself, uh, that the executive can be uh, uh, at least partly held to account, um, and that that will be a positive outcome, um, a very positive outcome and a very positive um, demonstration effect. Um, on the other hand, you know, Trump will have something to run against. And as you said earlier on, and um, I think all of you alluded to, uh, the economy is going to slow down and this will be a perfect foil for Trump to, to blame the Democrats for having engineered that um, slowdown. Um, and, you know, experience tells us that people tend to, people tend to experience the economy through partisan lenses. And so a lot of people are going to believe Trump when he says that. And a lot of people right now um, believe that Trump has pulled off the impossible and unleashed the animal spirits of the economy and and done something that only a brilliant deal maker such as him could do, which I think is objectively, empirically, 
complete nonsense. He's borrowing. He's not borrowing from our grandchildren or even our children. He's borrowing from us next year to pull this off. Um, but uh, so, you know, the next two years, I've always felt the build up to 2020 is, is going to be the most important election in modern Western democratic history. Um, and I think the way it goes um, is it's very hard to overstate how important um, that is. If Trump is reelected in 2020, uh, and we've discussed this before, uh, it will confirm to the world and to America that this is a considered deliberate uh, change on the part of the American people that they're, that they're not going back on. And that, that has huge implications. Um, so uh, it's going to get what we've been experiencing with sort of increasing degrees of intensity and sort of visceral nature in the last two years, and particularly in the last few months, in terms of the political and cultural climate in the United States, is just going to become more so uh, over the next two years. And as I said earlier, if, if the Republicans do defy the odds and hold on to the House, really, God help us, uh, I, I, Trump, Trump is going to believe he is untouchable. He can do no wrong. He is absolutely magical in his ability to read things that no one else can read. His self-belief will be on steroids. And I dread to think, you know, where that, that would kind of be a mini version of him being re-elected in 2020. Well, you must feel the same way. You know, I was just thinking when Evelyn was talking about Yale professors and all these books about the end of democracy, when you wrote about the decline of liberalism, it was not the largest single category uh, in publishing. And yet now every book is about this. And so I think, you know, you have the same magic touch as Trump does it. I've... Uh, um, I, 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 I wrote about the retreat of Western liberalism, and, and the reason why I use the word retreat is because I do believe um, it, this is retrievable, this situation. Um, but, you know, with, with each passing week, um, it, it feels less so. It, 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 this sort of level of bitterness and misunderstanding and cynicism and nastiness in the tone of, of the debate um, it changes people's ways. It changes what people consider to be normal and acceptable. And we are descending. Um, uh, and you can feel it. It's, it's tangible. Um, and it's a very unpleasant feeling. Um, well, uh, you know, uh, there's a remark that is often attributed to uh, Yogi Berra, but uh, uh, has also been associated with, uh, uh, with uh, Niels Bohr and being an old Danish proverb, which is uh, that it's difficult to predict, especially about the future. Um, uh, but Rosa, let's just keep going with this theme here. Each, you know, <laughs> wait a minute, uh, what is, is that theme? <laughs> <laughs> well, the the theme is making you know is looking at the next two years um, and identifying what we see as you know the 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 things on the horizon that are, uh, you know, likely to be outcomes of, of this election or not. You know, I mean, Ed brings up economic downturn. That's likely to happen one way or another. Um, but, you know, are there other things as you look ahead to the next two years from an empowered Trump 
you know, that, that would worry you or, you know, will, you know, another set of things we can predict is that the administration is going to change rather substantially in the next few weeks. Just- well, let me just for once offer one tiny hopeful possibility uh, on the horizon. And that is, and, and, and Evelyn alluded to this, um, you know, uh, it, the, the big danger if the Democrats don't retake the House is that Trump promptly fires Mueller and everybody associated with him um, or otherwise acts to squelch them and squash them. But the potential good news um, would be Democrats retake the House. They probably won't retake the Senate. Um, but but even if they don't, if they control the House uh, and then also after the midterms, Mueller does come out with with real smoking guns on Trump himself and his inner circle, um, which even if he doesn't make a public report, will promptly get leaked to everybody. Uh, uh, You know, it's not totally inconceivable that Mueller could have the goods on Trump and the goods could be good enough that they could lead to some significant shift. So so my, my apocalyptic scenario that I painted before, which is that Democrats win the House, but then proceed to get blamed for every bad thing that happens in the next two years, including potentially bad economic news. Um, and then Trump wins in 2020, doesn't take into account, I, you know, I think that that's a, that's a danger, but it doesn't take into account the possibility that Mueller really does come out with something that is absolutely damning for Trump and a Democratic-controlled House is able to offer enough political protection uh, that Trump can't get away with just firing everybody or weaseling out of it, and that that becomes the thing that does turn the 2020 elections uh, into an election that is against Trump, whether it's for the Democrats or whether it's a victory for a uh, Republican who repudiates Trumpism. Well, gee, that was almost optimistic there, Corey. <laughs> um, she's she's like, you know, getting in on your territory. Um, <laughs> she's welcome. There's yeah. lots of space. It's a it's a <laughs> wide you. open, beautiful space of the West. She's welcome to share it. Yeah, come on in. The water's fine. There are unicorns everywhere. They're all drowning, but they're unicorns. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, you know, there, there are a lot of things that could happen, Corey. You know, Julian Assange now says Ecuador is seeking to end his <laughs> asylum. And I'm and, enjoying that so much, right? And they want to turn him over to the U.S. They don't realize that Trump will probably make him press secretary. You know? <laughs> oh, but that would break Sarah Sanders' heart, David. Yeah, no, I'd hate to see that happen. So, again, looking ahead two years, what do you see? Looking ahead two years, uh, I see a Democratic House that spent a lot of time reminding us what grifters the Trump administration were and not nearly enough time setting out an alternative policy agenda that helps the American people. I see a Senate growing um, uh, anxious because President Trump's helium balloon has lost its buoyancy and people are tired of combat in our political life. And I see the emergence of presidential candidates of both parties who move to the political center because that's what voters are going to reward. There, there's something optimistic there. 
you know, yeah. uni- unifiers in both parties. Um, um, you know, maybe maybe the beginning of the end for Trump in that respect. Evelyn, you're going to get the last word here. Oh my gosh! Well, I'm going to try to keep it optimistic too because I do feel at the end of the day that the American people they do have their limit, and I Bob Mueller, Robert Mueller is doing his work. Um, maybe I know a lot of people think that the American people don't care about the Russia scandal, but it's more than just Russia's meddling because there is the issue of Trump and his family's financial malfeasance or crimes, um, and how they operate as a, as a kind of a mafia family. (laughs) So I I think there, I'm going to, I'm going to try to be optimistic here. I'm going to hope for the best for the midterms. If they're terrible, then at least we have the presidential elections coming up. And by then, the American people will have had time to digest and understand what Trump's all about. There's always a lag. The people who are more knowledgeable and the people who are here in the in the solid, informed, deep state see things maybe before the rest of the country does. I know some people disagree with that kind of thinking, but I'm going to hold on to that. Well... You know, I hate to be a contrarian here. Um, uh, my sense is that the next couple of years are going to be worse than the past couple of years, almost inevitably, because Trump will win the Senate. He will consider that a victory. He will blame whatever defeats he suffers in the House, and we'll have to see how that turns out, on the media and its terrible coverage. It's not his fault. Um, he will be empowered by the victory in the Senate. The House will come after him. Mueller will come after him to some extent. The Southern District of New York will come after him to some extent. He will get defensive, uh, but he will also be empowered. And so he will start doing crazier and crazier things. In the long run, the American people will get it right. I agree with everybody's sense on that. Um, But whether they get it right in 2020, I'm not so sure. And I still think there's a fairly decent possibility um, that Trump will do a lot wrong. Now, I'm the one here, I have to admit, who said he wasn't going to make it out of this term, that he was going to, you know, be impeached. Um, I said that, too. I have to be honest. Yeah. and, And I'm... Still hopeful that that's the case. Nothing would be a cause of greater celebration uh, in enlightened households across America. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, th- I think we have to be realistic that uh, uh, the way current trends are going, either the most shocking thing to me about the past two years is not that Trump is corrupt or incompetent or narcissistic or sociopathic or terrible at foreign policy or a tool of foreign leaders um, uh, or against the rule of law or systematically seeking to undermine our democracy or attacking different segments of society for his own vein a benefit. All of those things are, are not surprising to me. What's surprising to me is the high level of tolerance and even support for this within a large portion of the American electorate. I would have think thought he would be in much worse shape than he is right now in November 20 of eight, 2018. Uh, and that's why I think I'm, I'm a little bit more dubious because I think the first two years of the Trump era reflect exactly what we may have expected from Trump, um, but show the U.S. electorate in a much worse light than we might have expected from them. We shall see. 
elections in a couple of days. For those of you who are in New York City and who want to go to uh, the Comedy Cellar at 9.30 on election night, you'll find some of us there doing our deep state victory party. Uh, As you can see, I'm going to be a real upbeat uh, MC for that. But uh, uh, we're going to have some comedians and we're going to have some analysts and we're going to provide live play-by-play of uh, what's going on uh, there uh, in the city. And you should join us there because you'll get to see us and have some fun with us uh, or drink heavily and 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 drown your sorrows with us. Um, and uh, and of course, we'll be back next week with takes on what's going on uh, 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 as a result of the election um, before and after. Uh, and we'll start seeing whether all of these prognostications are in fact um, being borne out. For now, I want to thank Rosa Brooks. I want to thank Ed Luce. I want to thank Evelyn Farkas. I want to thank Corey Shockey. I want to thank all of you. Please join us at deepstateradionetwork.com anytime you want. Uh, and that's it for this episode of Deep State Radio. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.